Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Naked and Inside Out. It's Janine Toro here. We're an LGBT podcast highlighting people in the community doing some incredible things with their lives and careers, and we're here to share their stories with you, our listeners. Today, we have on Anthony Norris, more commonly known as Mighty Tony. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So a little background for the listeners. I recently met Mighty Tony this year at FlameCon, which is essentially a kind of like a comic con, but it's targeted for people of the LGBT community and doing all different interesting work. So I came across his booth. I saw some really cool illustrations he was working on. And you may have seen recently, I've been posting about Tony's recent exhibition here in New York City in Soho called Mighty Tonut and the Astronauts. And we're not talking about astronauts in space. So (laughs) it was at the Leslie and Loman Bridge Street Project. So after all me uh, going and telling your whole story, Tony, if you would tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about the exhibit. Sure. Well, I've, I've always loved comics. I started drawing when I was really young, around two or three. I think I actually was really influenced by superheroes and that sort of thing. And then when I went or wanted to go to college for art, what I endeavored to do was to become a comic book artist. But once I got into college, I started to learn more about fine art and um, what was going on in contemporary art. And I became interested in that. So I started to pursue that aspect of things. And I, and I didn't follow the sort of route to becoming an illustrator. And now over like, about 20 years, what I find I'm doing is sort of dipping back into what I was originally interested in and then also pulling that into sort of the fine art world and um, trying to mix the two together. And in a way, sometimes it's a little bit like oil and water because I have this illustration style. And some people really appreciate what I'm doing. And then sometimes I feel like like I'm the odd man out. Like I'm, I'm like, I would be better off if I printed something as opposed to hanging it on the wall. But things have been rolling along really well over the last few years. And I'm kind of excited about where I am right now. And it's, I feel more sure than I've been in a long time. And, um, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what comes next, especially out of this show and some, and the couple of publications I've put out. Yeah. You know, which is interesting because, You're saying that, you know, you kind of started with this idea of this illustration comic, I guess, path, we'll say, you know, Mm -hmm. when you were in college, but then you moved more towards the the fine art. What kind of brought you back to the love for comic and illustration? Well, you know, actually, that's a fantastic question, because when I went through undergrad and graduate school, my degrees were in sculpture and I really enjoyed making things. I mean, as far as like working in, in three-dimensional space and kind of engaging in what you can do with that. But I guess my drawing muscle never really developed very much. I took very few drawing classes during that time. And what actually was the catalyst of kind of throwing me back into drawing was that as soon as I was done with my MFA, I spent the summer at the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture in um, Maine, in Skowhegan, Maine. And I was sort of exhausted from having done my thesis show. And I didn't want to rehash what I had just done. And I was looking for something to do. And what I arrived at was actually a comic. I started making a comic at that point, not too confident in my drawing skills 
And basically it was about like two cowboys who kind of, uh, one is like fleeing some mean bully uncle or, or something who found out he's gay. And he, and so the, the kid's like running away and then finds this other guy and then they save each other and then like end up having sex in the mountains out in the desert. And this was several years before Brokeback Mountain. So I was going to say, was this I, pre or post Brokeback Mountain? <laughs> it, it was, it was 99 that I, um, we worked on that. And at the same time I was working on that, I also developed the initial chunky bear strip, which is just basically this little bear. And then every time he met his little bear friend, they would, you know, have sex and it could be like on top of the cash register or bumping in the Starbucks line or, or something like that. Or, well, the new cartoons in Starbucks. I don't think there were, I had, I didn't know what Starbucks was in 99. And so all of that like kind of came about and developed right then. And when I left Skowhegan that summer, I had this sort of body of work or more sort of like these sketches and drawings and stuff. And I was trying to figure out what to do with them. And so I did two things. One, I refined the Chunky Bear drawings. Like I, I redrew all of them and made them so that they would, you know, could be printed. And then the other thing was I, I took like panels out of the comic strip for the two cowboys. I remember one of them was named Roscoe. I can't remember the other name. <laughs> and just started blowing them up. Like I made these really large drawings, like four by five feet, black and white drawings. And so I showed them around to a few people that you know, had taken some interest in me while I was in school and they were kind of like, well, these are great, but we don't know what to do with them. And those drawings and, you know, like they can't sell these things. They're too sexually, not really explicit, but they just, they don't sell. And then the chunky bear stuff, I started sending it. This was at the time when every city still had like, uh, you know, the, all the free weekly newspapers and there'll be like a, a gay centric one in most places like in DC is the Washington blade. And I can't remember the one in Philadelphia. Um, but I found the different ones and I, I sent the the strip out to different people and no one took, you know, interest in that either, except for one publication in Chicago. It was called Chicago boy, it was spelled boy B O I. And I think they ran it, but I don't know if I ever got a copy and that was kind of it. I realized that no one was interested in this. And so I put it aside and then I started to refocus on other types of narrative and illustrative work all to be shown in a kind of fine art sitting. So I, I make these 22 by 30 inch drawings. Usually I, I, they're all ink and, and then I watercolor them afterwards. And so I spent years sort of refining that and then developing these narratives that were running through that work that were sort of based on a little bit of, my childhood and, and being bullied as a kid and, and then just some other things that I'm interested in art. I'll, I would make like different art historical references and things like that. And that's basically what I had been showing for the past decade. There's a guy here in Richmond where I live at ADA gallery and he's wrapped me for a long time and he's taken the work to art fairs and he had a little gallery in New York and it showed up there for a little bit. And, but again, like my work is so weird. Like he's always told me, he's like, Hey, will you stop drawing monsters? Like, <laughs> you know, if you draw some trees, we can sell the trees a little bit better. And and so like, it's always been like, I can't help but make things that, you know, the way you make them. And I, I don't try to like cater it to like the, the market or anything like that. I mean, I, I know that people, enjoy the work and they often really like it when they see it. But I've also had people tell me things like, 
like I was chosen for to do a, a, a mural in a, a commercial space in Richmond. And there was an art guy that was like finding the artist to do it. And he asked me to do it. And then they approved it. And then the owner, I think, took a look at my website or something afterwards. And, and then they backed out of the, the deal because he said that my website, like the drawings, I had like scary eyes. That's what he said. There were scary eyes in there. And like, meaning I had like these kind of monster like eyes that you see behind Scooby-Doo. And that he, he thought that was too much of a jinx. And so they didn't want to do it. So like I've, I've, I've run into that wall too, where I've, I've made things where, you know, people really love it. But at the same time, like, because I'm always interested in that kind of fantasy aspect of stuff or this kind of pulling through the, the history of comics and animation and stuff that I'm really drawn to and kind of interjecting into the work. I have, sometimes I have a hard time getting people to want to put that in their living room, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so how do you balance that with sort of your vision, right? So it's, it's not like you're creating these custom pieces for people, right? So how do you kind of still sort of explore like what you think should be there versus kind of what people would want? Um, you know, when John, the, um, the fellow that reps me, like when he throws a suggestion out there, sometimes I like take it and, and I'll run with it my way. And it's actually, I'm not averse to like having an obstacle, you know, like to be thrown off of what my interests are, kind of trying to figure out something and, and work through something. I definitely feel that I make better work when I don't know what I'm doing than when I have a plan from the get go. Because the more I have to sort of explore and and work it out, usually I feel like the better the piece is. And then on a rare occasion, there's these sort of brain fart idea pieces where you just sort of execute them. And uh, sometimes they're low hanging fruit, but like you just sometimes you just have to do it and get it done. But it's worked out like in a sense of I don't know. You always are like asked to balance the commercial with the artistic, so it's especially if you're showing in commercial spaces. So it is tricky sometimes. It's hard to cut it out. It's hard to like get all the voices or the outside voices telling you to do this or that. And, and you just sort of have to follow your own instinct, but at the same time you can't follow yourself to oblivion where like no one wants to show it or you never get it out there, you know, Exactly. Um, I'm definitely interested in showing my work. Yeah, with that, I mean, perfect segue into your current exhibition at the Leslie and Loman Print Street Project here in Soho, New York. How did you go about selecting the pieces that you wanted to show here and even just sort of the organization of them in the actual space? Well, this is a little bit of a long story, but like it goes back to those drawings I had done in 99 when I was in Skowhegan. So through the aughts, I was working as adjunct for a long time. And, you know, you don't make the best income when you're doing that. And so I was looking to like figure out, well, you know, of course I had other jobs and that sort of thing, but I was looking to figure out, well, can I make some money off my work? And so I went back to these drawings that I had done of like Roscoe and the cowboy. And I was like, I wonder, cause if I could sell these online, you know, like, and my thought was to try eBay. And this is like everybody is like talking about the Internet has like changed the world and whatnot by this point, say like 2007 or eight, somewhere in there. And so I went in, in thinking of Tom of Finland specifically, you know, and if you don't know who Tom of Finland is, please look him up right away. 
uh, especially if you're interested in gay erotica. I just started doing these drawings of like male nudes and like, and then I put them on eBay and I started like I did like, and, and you know, and that they weren't explicit. They're just nudes and like, but they were like kind of be like stereotypical, typical characters. It would be like, there's a bear guy or a lumberjack guy, or like I tried like an angel later. And what happened was like people started to buy them. And that's where Mighty Tony came from, this this pseudonym or handle, I guess, because we I think we have handles these days or something. Yeah. And I came up with that title. I mean, my first name is Anthony. So I was like, well, Tony, and I was playing, I was like, Tony Pyro or Tony, you know, yeah. and basically the internet chose it for me. Like I started putting <laughs> in things that were available as a website and, and Mighty Tony was. And, and so I was like, I'm going to go with that. And so I was moving these drawings and eventually they just, I, one year I sold like, and I was not selling these for a lot, like maybe $60, $80 a pop. One year, I sold like $7,000 worth of these drawings on eBay. So it was like I had something kind of rolling with it. And my friend Cupid Ojolo, who is the pro- the Prince Street Project Space coordinator, knew of the work. And he said, why don't you submit an application of this work to the project space? And so I was like, well, if I do, I'm going to do this a little bit like more upscale and meaning like, like I just wanted to spend more time on the figures and kind of like throw some sort of idea in there. And so I developed some larger versions that were, they were in the show and the case, they were like kind of these totem-esque figures where it'd be like uh, this burly redhead strong man with a lion beside him. And then there's the fellow with all the serpents kind of moving around him. And they were just sort of like, nicer illustrations where I I wanted the work to command the price I thought it would deserve. And that is the work that I submitted. And Charles Leslie, who's one of the founders of the Leslie Lohman Museum and is the, I believe he's the curatorial director of the Prince Street space now, liked the work and they wanted to give me a show. And I, I ended up going to New York City and meeting with Mr. Leslie at his apartment, which is above the the gallery space and it was it was sort of fantastic meeting he he first of all this man has been like a collector of gay art and erotica and supported lgbt artists for i I don't know like 40 50 years and and he's he's done a lot for a lot of people and so his collection in his own house was just sort of amazing and you're you're kind of left recognizing certain things and then other things are like very kind of outrageous and um but anyways when i met with him he talked about my work he shared some ideas about what he thought that people liked you know like like for instance he said well people like to see two men together you know all my pieces were like single figures and then and then he made some other suggestions and um and so I kind of like that kind of stuck in my head. And then when I went back to Richmond, I still had like a year and a half out for the show. And then I kind of sat down to figure out what I wanted to do. And what I ended up doing was something I thought, I think I thought was going to happen anyways, which was I started to pull the Mighty Tony work mm-hmm. into what I had been doing for the last 10, 15 years and pushing the two things together. Yeah. So you kind of went like full circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And made this work that is, you know, like to me, it was like there were three points in each piece in a way or three sort of things going on in there. It's like 
there's the kind of aspect of gay erotica and, and a little bit of the history of that. And then there are art historical references in a lot of the pieces, which is kind of important. I'll talk about that in a second. And then the, my love of cheap animation, you know, like the, the, the stuff I grew up with in the 70s and early 80s, that really terrible Hanna-Barbera animation like Scooby-Doo and that kind of stuff. But, the, you know, the animation was inexpensively done, but the background paintings and some of the ideas and the icons they came up with were really fascinating and definitely had a huge influence on me. So I started looking through and finding the artwork that was used as the, the sittings for the, the haunted ship Island or, or the, I think there's one where it's like a tiki monster or something. I don't, and you know, so I would find these things and, and, and kind of like was influenced by that when I was pulling all this work together and to figure out where to start, it's very hard to kind of cold start on some of this. I turned to paintings in art history. There's one painting or one piece based on the raft of the Medusa. And I think that was the first one I, I did this with, where basically they were growing up as a, a gay kid out in, like I was in rural Virginia. Like I grew up, my graduating high school class had like 53 people in it or something. 53? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so like the only way I would see like nude men, you know, like trying to figure out what was going on with me when I was, you know, yeah. uh, hitting my puberty age was like in an encyclopedia. And so in the encyclopedias, there would be like photograph or pictures of famous paintings and that in like the Wrath of the Medusa is one of those. And then there's this other piece that I remember seeing is called, um, the Battle of the Naked Men, which is this print that was done in like 16th century Italy, where it's like 12 men, like muscular nude men fighting. And so like I started to find these things because I remember like they were like this sort of they weren't like a tee hee hee as much as like what else is out there kind of thing when I was a kid. And I, I started referencing back to those. And so I recreated those pieces for the less uh, for the Prince Street project space, like I re I drew my own version of the Wrath of Medusa, but you know all the figures in it are nude this time, and then I had the Scooby Doo ghosts floating around them, which seemed appropriate for these these men that are like dying on this raft, and and then I you know interjected my sense of color and and everything into the piece, and I, I feel like it. It turned out really well. I was it was a very difficult composition actually to recreate, and um, I enjoyed the challenge of that. But what happened is, as I started to move through those pieces, I started to get ideas for other things, and so I springboarded into the sort of more original compositions that were in the show. Where like I had like, well, the piece where like there's like Mayor McCheese doing a little. ATM to the, the bear <laughs> dude on, on, while who's laying on top of uh, grimace and you know and those pieces like that goes back to me being bullied when I was a kid like when I was a kid on the school bus they called me the hamburger head like that was because I was this like little fat gay kid and like and that's what I was called and it took me 20 years or it took me 30 years to realize that the hamburger head what they were talking about were those weird hamburger headed figures from the McDonald land commercials from the, from when we were growing up. Yeah. But that's so mean. It was, Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. It went on for years and years. It was definitely, it caused me to be, I was already sort of introverted. And so it just made me more introverted and very quiet yeah. when I was a kid. And it really wasn't until I went to college that 
things got better. And I have to say, like, I've actually reached out and thanked some of my high school teachers because I think they knew I was a gay kid. I mean, they knew that I was gay. And I remember my 11th grade English teacher, Mrs. Vandalock, like I was in her, her classroom after school one day and she said, Chris, are you going to college? And I said, no, I really don't plan to. And she's like, you have to go to college. And I was like, okay, you know, this is like 1989 or 90. And, and so I, I realized now that was like, you need to get away from here. You need to get out from this area. You need to go find other people and find my place. And which is exactly what happened. And um, when you talk about those kind of coming out. I mean, I think I was in college for a month and a half before I was like, Hey, I'm bisexual, which was the easier way to say, Hey, I'm gay. Yeah. Right. Uh, Same with uh, me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I'm, I'm grateful for that because in going, actually the going through art school and, you know, we talk about that bullying and how mean it was like going through art school and, and learning to critique and speak in front of others and then eventually like do lectures. Some of that was therapeutic. Like that was really difficult things for me to overcome. And, and I did it mostly because I wanted to, like, I felt like I had something to share in the class, but I was afraid to speak. But, you know, after beating beat down so hard, you know, it's interesting what you can, you can rebound from it and you can like kind of start pushing for it. And I, and I think that it actually, maybe I overcompensate for that a bit because I feel like the, the work, especially some of the work that's in Prince Street Project Space is really aggressive in, in, in your face. And I think that's why I can't make those nice tree pieces that. Yeah. Uh, They're also bright colored and exciting. Yes. Yes. I have a color sense where like, I like to make everything vibrating color and it's, it's very punchy and like grabs your attention. Yeah. So it's almost exciting that you're not like, I mean, I get in some ways why you'd want to be like the tree painting, but in other ways, I think, you know, your work, at least from what I saw at the gallery space, everything was like, you know, really bright and vibrant and engaging and captivating. And one of the pieces that I really liked was that Scooby-Doo one. Oh yeah. That you said that you kind of devote to your trans friends because what it is essentially, I mean, you can describe it better, but essentially it's a Scooby-Doo cast with the opposite uh, anatomy on each gender. Yes. Yeah. So the, that piece, that was one of those, I mentioned earlier, like a brain fart thing is kind of like I had this idea, like jumped right at, at me. And I think part of it, is there's been a lot of talk now lately about art has been so like uh, white males, straight white male centric, or I don't know about straight all the time, but uh, that that people like minorities like to see themselves in it up on the wall. And I was kind of thinking about that and how I had all these trans friends or, or students who are, are transitioning or just people who just wanted to be just plainly accepted for who they are and that there's not a lot out there that you where you can re- relate to and or, or see yourself and the scooby gang i was like well what if these guys i mean we've never seen them with their pants off in the you know cartoons so like i was like well what if these guys are all trans and so they i created that piece like that. And, and in one way it, it's, it's sort of like a, a one liner, but when I, and I was hesitant about it cause I was like, well, I don't want this to be offensive. Like I don't want it to upset people, but I, I showed it to some, 
my trans friends and, and they were so excited. They were so happy to see it. They just, they just loved it. And I was like, okay, it's, it's good. I'm going to put this out in the world. And the, the, actually the hardest part I had with the piece was that uh, Scooby-Doo, his little signature thing on his collar, I think whatever they're calling it, like, usually says the SD. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I just wrote they in there. I spent a lot of time thinking what should go there because I, I wanted to put something there and, and address uh, you know, the, the personal pronoun and how people make that choice for themselves or that need for themselves. And so that that I deliberated over what that should be for a really long time. And, and when I arrived at that, I was like, well, this, this should work. And so that piece is actually, it's like the most straightforward, like the figures are standing in a very traditional kind of pose. Like you would see advertising for an episode of TV coming on or something like that. There's not a lot of like dynamicness going on. And I, I don't think it meets that, you know, but people love that piece. It was really interesting in the whole show, like, because I stayed in the gallery space over the weekend and talked with people as they came in, just kind of hearing people tell me, well, th- oh, I really like this, you know, or like, like people really like the Scooby-Doo piece and then some people didn't. And then a lot of people were talking about how much they loved their original compositions, but not so much the ones that were based on the art history. Or some people go in a little bit more and they would talk about like they liked how much body hair I put on the characters. Like they were excited to see that. It's like, oh, you have so much body hair on these, you know, because they like have hairy legs and whatnot. And I was like, well, that's sort of natural. I mean, it's most people I know, Um, you know, and so it was funny, like what people would talk to you about. And I I really enjoyed that aspect of the, the, the event. When you're doing it, you have. I don't know. Sometimes you do something as you just, you just do it. And sometimes you think too hard about it. And I think overall that the response to the work, but people seem really excited. And I had a few like straight couples wander off the street and come in who also are like, Oh, I I really like this, but I I couldn't put it in my house. And I was like, I I know, Uh, you know, it's not, I am very much catering to a very specific audience with this show. And that's the great thing about that space because you know, I think I was being a little bit timid with the work at first. And Cupid said, you know, he's like, you can do anything. You should just go as crazy as you want to go. The audience that supports this space are all LGBT people here in New York. And that's this, this space is for that group of people. And I was like, okay, you know, and so that just allowed me to loosen up some and get a little bit crazier than I normally would, which is like, the the grimace piece (laughs) yeah yeah but what i think too is great about the scooby-doo type of cast piece i didn't even notice the they and them on the uh collar tag Uh which is interesting because it's like these kind of small details that are the most important at least that i find when looking at artwork but what i liked was you kind of when you first look at it it's something recognizable right it's like oh yeah i know them they're the cast of scooby-doo or if you grew up in that generation and watched them you're like oh that's cool and then it takes like a quick second and you're like oh wait they don't have like the quote unquote correct body parts or the anatomy or whatever it is. So I kind of like the, 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 the sort of elements of surprise that pop up in your work because for me, it was you're going in to look at something or when I was looking at the work, it's like, Oh, this seems like something familiar. And then it was like that quick second where it is something familiar, but with like a twist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're doing a lot of 
different things, right? You just had this exhibit. You also self-published books, The Butch mm-hmm. and the Beautiful and Chunky Bear. What do you think's next for you on your journey? Some of the work hopefully is going to go down to Miami with the fellow, uh, John, that reps me. He, he's doing a fair down there in December. But then beyond that, I haven't lined up like another show. And I actually like to do things kind of every like I like to do a solo show somewhere like every two years or so that that's about how long it takes me to produce that much work. And Mm -hmm. if you can see how prolific I am by the work that was in there, but that's kind of like where, how I like to work. And then like, you know, group things will pop up here and there and I'll, I'll put work in or be invited to something. I don't know what this really is going to springboard into the only other, the other thing I'm working on now outside of this is that here in Richmond, Virginia, where I am, as I've I've joined the the board of the there's a gallery here in town called the Ridian Gallery, which is part of Diversity Richmond, which is trying to get going. It's been going now for a few years, and and I've I've joined it to help them. And so they're doing a similar thing that Leslie Loman is doing in New York, where they want to uh, show work either by LGBT artists or work that's curated by LGBT curators. And so I'm working with them and helping them with a fundraiser coming up real soon. And uh, that's what I was working on today. And then they asked me to curate a show. And so one of the big corporations here in Richmond is Capital One. They Capital One has a huge art collection and they support the, their LGBT employees by usually having some sort of pride-oriented show in the summer um, that's kind of geared towards that audience. And so I'm curating that show that will go to Capital One and then move to Iridian afterwards uh, next fall. And so I'm just sort of in the midst of working on that. And that's a comic oriented. At first I was looking to do LGBT comic book artists. Like I was, I I was reaching out to people, but they also wanted it to be kind of local and uh, we're, we're showing with local artists. So I ended up changing it. So I'm, I'm working with, fine artists that are influenced by um, of comics or, or use that kind of narrative style somehow on their work. So we'll see what happens with that. And, uh, and, and this is new for me. Like I've never really curated anything. I've kind of enjoyed the process of visiting people and talking to them about their work. And then as far as my own work goes, like I kind of been debating, like I definitely had a lot of ideas actually while I'm was sitting uh, looking at the work in the gallery, which is funny because you work on all this stuff for two years and you, when you you don't see it together like all at once until it's up in the space so it, it you start to see relationships that you didn't realize were there and then i'm also trying to figure out if i'm going to start publishing or work on another like the chunky bear comic that i made like chunky bear doesn't talk and in, in there but i i, I kind of like well maybe chunky bear needs to start talking or or i might do something like a, a web comic or it's all back in my head i just have to sit down and like figure out what am i going to do you know I mean, it sounds like you're going in the right direction. Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. We had a, a, a group of LGBT, well, it wasn't all LGBT art, but we had a group of students come up from VCU. Come, they went to the show and they took a tour of the Leslie Lowen Museum and a fantastic group of young people. And I'm in my early 40s now. And part of me like working with the Iridian Gallery is like, and when I like talk to these, uh, gave a lecture to these kids at the show, he's like, I feel like I'm moving more into like a mentorship 
role of things. Like I want to help the generation that's coming after me. When I was going to school in 1992, most of the, when I, when I started college, the, the LGBT artists that were successful, like Keith Haring and Felix Gonzalez Torres, everyone was dying, you know, and it was scary. And um, I kind of thought that was the fate of everything that was to come. And it, things are very different now. And I would, it, but it was still hard to like, you would, it was hard to s search out and find things um, in this, you know, so pre-internet like someone had to tell you about it or you just stumbled on it by accident and so like i'm just kind of looking to like show like it's okay to be and you and and do what you need to do um i i said this to the students like uh, sometimes you have to change your value system the whatever you're brought up with so that you can survive you know yeah absolutely and you have to figure out what that is. And, and sometimes you need a little help doing that. I don't know. I just, I just look at it to be helpful, you know, as I think that's like not do anything fantastic or crazy, but just to be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, I think it's great too that your students were able to come down and like see your work and see you sort of in the element and kind of see that this is something that they possibly can do too one day, right? Yeah. These goals yeah. are attainable and achievable. So yeah, exactly. They love the opening. That was, that was apparently the, the faculty member that was with them, who is a fantastic uh, straight ally, I guess that's the term we use. He said that they just had a ball at the opening that was, you know, going to New York City and like going to that. I don't know what you picture in your head. It's not like what you see on TV. That's for certain. I'm, I'm glad they, they had that opportunity. It was fantastic that the, the school supported them. Awesome. Well, with that said, thank you so much for coming on today. Can you let our listeners know, um, obviously we've been talking about a lot of your work and describing it and the, a podcast mm -hmm. is not necessarily the best medium to view artwork, you know, somewhere that they can check out your work or contact you if they want to get in touch with you. Yeah, they can contact me uh, through my email is really the easiest thing is mightytonyart at yahoo.com. And then there is a mightytony.com and you can follow me on I've been posting a lot more to Instagram, which my handle there is Mighty Tony Art. That would be the best way to see some of the things. Um, Chunky Bear and the well, the Chunky Bear publication has been is getting into more. FlameCon helped me with uh, getting it into some comic stores. Perhaps um, I'd like to carry in a lot of independent work, and so there's, this stuff is out there. Stumble it on your own. Awesome. Listeners, thank you again so much for tuning in. As always, you can find us on nakedandinsideout.com. Also, if you like what you're hearing, please go on iTunes, give us a star rating there. Also on social, we're everywhere. We're on Insta as Naked and Inside Out, spelt out. Uh, Twitter is Naked underscore Inside Out. Um, and Facebook is just Naked and Inside Out. Until next time, guys, thank you so much.